Hello, welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. And hello, my name's Kay. And today we are going to talk about Judgment Seat of Christ. We are reading from the Book of Signs by Dr. David Jeremiah. And Kay is going to start us off with the Judgment Seat of Christ. Cotton Fitzsimmons was a famous NBA basketball player, coach, who was brilliant at motivating his team. On one occasion when his team was playing the great Boston Celtics in a game, they were not they were not expected to win. Fitzsimmons hit on an ideal that he thought would help motivate his players. His pregame speech went something like this. Gentlemen, when you go out there tonight, instead of remembering that we are in last place, pretend we are in first place. Instead of being in a losing streak, Pretend we are in a winning streak. Instead of this being a regular game, pretend it's a playoff game. With that, the team went onto the basketball court and were soundly beaten by the Boston Celtics. Coach Fitzsimmons was upset about the loss, but one of the players slapped him on the back and said, Cheer up, coach. Pretend we won. That's a good one. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but there's an awful lot of pretending going on. Many people love to pretend they are Christians when deep down in their hearts they know better. They have never truly had a life-changing experience of salvation. Christians also play this pretend game, pretending to really love the Lord, even though the motions of serving Him. But it's not real, and they know it. What is to become of all this pretending? The Bible clearly teaches that one day all this make-believe will be unmasked. Almost all Christians have some idea about a future judgment when everyone will stand before God. A final judgment is coming. Of that, we can be certain. It's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment from Hebrews 9.27. But few Christians realize that it will not that there will not be one, but two days of judgment. First, the judgment seat of Christ, and the second of the great white throne judgment. I didn't know that. No. Our relationship with Christ will determine which court will try our case. Let's start with the second judgment, which is usually referred to as the great white throne judgment. There are unbelievers, and all those who pretend to be Christians will stand before God, Revelation 25, 11 through 15. There they will face the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. This judgment is the final bar of justice in God's plan for the inhabitants of planet Earth. And there will be no grading on the curve. The accused will be judged by the standard of absolute truth. According to Warren W. Wiersbe, the white throne judgment will be nothing like our modern court cases. The white throne there will be a judge but no jury, a prosecution but no defense, a sentence but no appeal. No one will be able to defend himself or accuse God of unrighteousness. The first judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, occurs more than 1,000 years before the great white throne judgment. The first judgment occurs immediately after the rapture of the church to heaven. I just don't think I've heard it called that before, Teresa. What? The great white throne judgment. No, I didn't. Because there is the thousand years between the rapture and, yeah. But this 
it must be just for unsaved people, right? Well, the first judgment occurs immediately after the rapture of the church to the heaven. The purpose of the judgment is not to pronounce condemnation. No, no one judged of this court will be condemned. For all will be followers of Christ who have submitted their lives to him. The purpose of this judgment is for Christ to access every believer's earthly works to determine what rewards are to be received. Yay! See? I want to live lavishly (laughs) in my mansion. (laughs) We must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The judgment seat of Christ is the subject of this chapter. This biblical truth is almost never preached in our churches today, but it may be one of the most important and motivating doctrines in the Bible. The New Testament Greek word for judgment seat is bima. This word can also be translated as throne, tribunal, platform, or raised place, depending on the context. In each case, whether referring to Christ or a public official of some sort, the implication is always the same. The bima was a place of authority from which one made announcements, declarations, speeches, or judgments. In Paul's use of the word in relationship to the judgment seat, he always refers to the bema seat in an Olympic arena. According to the 20th century theologian Leonard Sale Harrison, in Grecian games in Athens, the old arena contained a race platform on which the president or the umpire of the arena sat. From here, he rewarded all the contestants, and here he rewarded all winners. It was called the Bema, or rewarded seat. From this high and exalted seat, the judges of the Greek Olympic Games reviewed the preparation and training of each of these contestants and rewarded the winners who had kept the rules. As we examine the important topic of the judgment seat of Christ, we look at three distinct categories, the judge, the judged, and the judgment. Have you ever been to Athens? No. I actually saw this the other night on TV, their arena. Yeah. So, so cool. Um, actually, Gordon Ramsay, they put on these very heavy weights and ran around that big arena. It's a very pretty place. And I just figured since you've been all over the world, I <sighs> no, wasn't there. sure if you had been there or not. So the judge... The God of the Bible is a God who makes judgments. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were judged for their disobedience, judgment is a thread that runs from the beginning, Genesis 3, to the end of Revelation 22, of God's redemptive story. Solomon wrote, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Jesus said, nothing is secret, that not will be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light from Luke eight seventeen, Paul declared, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ from Romans two sixteen, And the writer of Hebrews added, there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account from Hebrews four thirteen, As British scholar J.I. Packer wrote, 
There are few things stressed more strongly in the Bible than the reality of God's work as judge. On this awesome day of reckoning, only God himself is qualified to be seated at the judgment seat. John 5, and 27 say God has committed all judgment to the Son and has given him authority to execute judgment. Acts 10.42 says that Christ was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. One of the central verses of the subject is 2 Corinthians 5.10. We are told that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word appear is better translated made manifest. In other words, we are not going to just show up. Our lives are going to be revealed for what they really are. There's no pretending at this tribunal. George Sweeting, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, writes, God gives Jesus Christ the right to judge all men because of who he is. Jesus is uniquely qualified to judge because he is God and has existed from eternity, from John 1, 1. As God, he knows everything, can be everywhere at once, and has unlimited power and authority. He knows everything we think and every, and sees everything we do. Thus, he can judge perfectly and with wisdom and full understanding without error or partiality. Christ is also uniquely qualified to judge because of what he has done. He demonstrated perfect love for all men. Thus, when he judges, his perfect righteousness is balanced by his perfect love. Mark Hitchcock used the lighter illustration to underscore the completeness of God's judgment. A group of children was lined up in the cafeteria at a Catholic elementary school for lunch. At the head of the table was a large pile of apples. A nun posted a note on the apple tray, take only one. Remember, God is watching. (laughs) (laughs) Moving further along the lunch line at the end of the table was a large pile of chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) And uh, a child, a child had written a note, take all you want. God is watching the apples. The truth is God is watching the the apples apples and and the cookies. Yes. That is funny. That is really funny. Wow. That is funny. Oh, But you know, Kay, we all will go before God, and you better be prepared. It just breaks my heart because I spoke to a man, and he has probably fathered eight or nine children from multiple women. And I ask him. I always share God with him when I see him. And his answer to me, I like sex too much. And I will someday after I'm done sowing my oats. And I said, wow, what happens if you get in your car and that's the end of your life? But he doesn't, he thinks he's going to miss out on life. And he wants to wait till he he literally said until I can't perform sex anymore. Wow. And so it's like God is an afterthought. After I go out here and I do everything I want to do and I have sex and do this, this, and this, and then when I can't perform anymore, then I'll settle down. Satan has him all reined up, doesn't he? I mean, he just, oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, I was, wow. I was, I was wow. shocked by his response, actually. We're going to pray that he doesn't wait that long. Yes. That there's a rude awakening before. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that crazy? 
Yeah, but people do think that way. They do. They think that. They think it, yeah, so you know what? I've got time. I've got time. Well, they also think that it's a boring life, but it is far from boring. Right. It is far right. from boring. We love looking at his miracles and the way he works in our lives. It's so exciting to me. Yeah, it is. It, it's so exciting. That's another lie from Satan that it's boring. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I just wouldn't want to live in the dark world. That's because the world says, you know, these things out here are pleasures. Fun, yes. Right. Pleasures, yes. But they're fleeting. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you go over there, oh, it's going to be boring and you're never going to be able to do anything again. You're not going to have any fun. <clears throat> no, but all I can think about, sitting in the bars, being surrounded, all the lights are dim. You can barely see people. Darkness. Darkness. I don't want to live in darkness. Right. That is not me. Yes, I'll take the churches, please and thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, the judged. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers only. At this tribunal, everyone who has accepted Christ as their personal Savior from the time of Pentecost until the rapture, we will give an account of themselves before the Lord. No unsaved person will appear at the judgment seat of Christ, but every believer will make an appearance. Here are the three central passages on this future event. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. In Romans 14, 10, and 12. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things he has done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In Second Corinthians 5.10 I have emphasized particular pronouns in these critical verses because the event is not a community affair or even a church gathering. This is a one-on-one examination by the Son of the Living God. Yikes. <clears throat> I can just imagine our heads being just like down like we can't even, I mean, I just can't even imagine that. Just to be, I mean, even when you watch the Ten Commandments when Moses went up to the mountain, died his hair and everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. can't even look upon it. Right. But for myself, just thinking here, um, this is a good reminder to keep in the back of your mind and your heart that there's nothing in secret. Yes. Absolutely right. nothing in secret. Mm-hmm. If if you are pretending, it's going to be found out. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's going to be revealed. The judgment. Here are four additional truths Christians should know and remember about the judgment seat of Christ. The confusion about this judgment. The erroneous idea 
that has grown up around the judgment seat of Christ is that it is a judgment that takes place in heaven. At the time of death, to determine whether a person is permitted to enter heaven. Here in the words of prophecy scholar J. Dwight Pentecost is the definitive answer to that false assumption. The only judgment to which a believer will ever be subject is the judgment on the cross. He was judged in the person of Christ. Jesus Christ has borne his judgment and there need not be any examination to see whether a child of God is permitted into glory because the presence of the Holy Spirit in that believer is the believer's right to enter without judgment or examination. Some also believe that the judgment seat of Christ is for the purpose of giving account of all the sins a believer commits after he becomes a believer. But the scriptures make this impossible. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Roman 8, 1. It is not logical to think that Jesus took care of all the sins I committed before I became a Christian, but that I am responsible for all those sins I have committed after I was born again. All my sins were future when Jesus died for them. He paid the penalty at the cross for all the sins I would ever commit. In the days of the pioneers, when men saw that a prairie fire was coming, they would take a match and burn the designated area around them. Then they would take their stand in the burned area and be safe from the threatening fire. Even as the rush of fire surged around them, no, there was no fear because fire had already passed over the place where they stood. When the judgment of God comes to sweep men into hell for eternity, one spot will be safe. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the wrath of God was poured out on Calvary. There, the Son of God took the wrath that should have fallen on us. Now, if we take our stand by the cross, we are safe for time and eternity. The judgment has fallen and it never need fall again. The chronological of this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ is an event that will take place immediately after the rapture of the church. This sequence of events is reflected in the words of Paul to the Corinthians. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. James is on the same page as the following verse reveals. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the front door. Jesus said it best. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. The criteria for this judgment, on what basis will be judged when we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat? To make the answer to this question crystal clear, Paul uses an illustration that has been relevant to every generation from the time it was given to this very day. 
The illustration is found in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The Apostle Paul uses the construction of a building to illustrate what will happen to believers at the judgment seat of Christ. The builder, Jesus Christ, is going to evaluate the work that the builders of his church have accomplished. According to Paul, just as there are two contrasting ways to build a building, There are two different ways to build a life. Some will construct their lives out of gold, silver, and precious stones, while others will build with wood, hay, and straw. But what constitutes gold, silver, and costly stones or wood, hay, and straw? Here is one of the best answers that often asked question. I observe that gold, silver, and costly stones are those things which God himself creates and plants in the earth and man can do no more than reap the bounty of the provision of God. The wood, the hay and the stubble are those things that man plants, cultivates, harvests, manufactures and uses according to his will. And so the suggestion we make is that which God is permitted to do in and through the child of God is that which is gold, silver, and costly stones, and that which the individual does by his own power for his own glory because it suits his own will because it promotes his own purpose is the wood. In Paul's illustration, there is a fire in the building and the nature of the materials that were used to build the building are made manifest or revealed. Even today, this illustration holds true. We have all read of buildings that have been destroyed by fire simply because the builders used inferior materials and they covered it up thinking that no one would ever know. But then the fire came and it was all exposed and they too were exposed for being unfaithful builders. That is what Paul is talking about here. That is his illustration. What does the fire represent for those who are building their lives? I believe it is the fire of Christ's omniscient gaze, Revelation 1.14. The fire will burn up all the work that has not been done for him in a spirit of faithfulness, unity, and love for Christ, his church, and for others. Fire is a well-known biblical image, testing and refining. And it is the same image Paul uses to describe the effects of Christ's evaluation of our works at his judgment seat. So, okay, we are going to end that here. And then next week, we will finish the conclusion of this judgment. Is there anything you need to share? I don't think so. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us. Yes, and we'll see you next week. God bless.